This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Please welcome our special guest for this evening, uh, the member for Melbourne, Mr. Adam Bantz. So as you can see, this is intended to be a very relaxed and informal discussion uh, about the film, but also, I guess, uh, riffing out of the film and some of the issues contained within it. Uh, and, and thanks, first of all, because you've had a, a very busy week, the first sitting of Parliament. Uh, so I really appreciate you uh, sparing us the time. There are so many things to talk about about the film. Uh, the, unfortunately, I guess in many respects, uh, as has been referred to, Mr. Weiner is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, although the events of last week do actually give it a rather kind of more tawdry uh, spin. In any case, one of the things now having seen the film three times that uh, strikes me every single time, irrespective of uh, further revelations uh, about sexting and uh, that his wife is, is now started finally divorce proceedings, is uh, what I would regard as the, the, the relentless self-belief, at least of, of this particular politician, uh, Anthony Weiner, uh, and seemingly for him the invisibility of the public and the private, uh, and how to traverse uh, a public life as an elected official, uh, and indeed a, a private life. How do you, uh, Mr. Bant, how do you navigate that fairly grey no man's land? Um, it's, uh, I think it's becoming trickier and trickier because I mean, one of the, when I started getting involved in um, politics, like really I, it was sort of the issues that motivated me. And so I just wanted to talk about issues, right? And um, the, I had really good advisors and a good team around me who were saying, no, look, you actually need to tell a bit about your personal life because when you think about it, people like to connect with their politicians. People like to know a little bit about their politicians, not just know what they stand for, but know a little bit about who they are. And it was, it was a, um, I'm a reasonably private person, and so it, it, for me it was a, um, a sort of a, a bit of a hurdle I had to jump over and realise, actually, that's right. And if I think back about the people that I um, um, have admired in politics, you know a little bit about their backstory. You know a little bit about things that they do outside of politics, and it's kind of why you, you identify with them and why you're attracted to them in the first place. And so I think we do have this... Um, uh, uh, situation where we do want politicians, we do want to know a bit about the private lives of our politicians, we do want to know a little bit about what makes them human, I guess. Um, and so then the question is, well, at what point does that stop? Because you don't stop being human once you get elected, and so you still keep doing all the things um, that, that human beings do. How much of that should be in public? And, um, you know, I had a big, went through a big... Um, uh, uh, discussion with my wife about when we were going to put our kid in front of a camera, if at all. And so that was that was kind of quite a big thing in, at home to, to discuss. So I think every one of us does does try and navigate it, but I think the desire for people to know a bit more about their politicians is just growing and growing and growing. Unfortunately, I don't 
have his name. I thought Usain Bolt was the most aptly named person for the job that they were doing, but like A Wiener, what a fan, what an, like, you just can't top that. Although it does, it does equally appear that he is rather in love with the fact that he does bear that but family that, name. That's right. <laughs> uh, for better or for worse. Well, for worse, probably. Uh, yeah. So, uh, therefore, now, given the context of what has taken place this week, do you think that uh, this ever-voracious 24-hour news cycle, as we were talking about before, as you pointed out, the arrival of the Daily Mail in Australia, do mm. you think, uh, well, the 24-hour news cycle is what it is, but do you think that uh, the arrival of such a, a media outlet as that will further fuel speculation, for example, into into your life and the life of your colleagues in, in Canberra? Look, one, one of the, uh, you hear lots of stories in um, Canberra and there's always rumours that are swirling around about other um, the, the private lives of other members of parliament and uh, very rarely when you hear one of those do you actually ever go and confront the person and ask them because it's usually something you know, about, about the person of gossip basically but often it's quite sometimes salacious gossip but one of the things that I've been kind of pleasantly surprised by is that 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 no one's really picked that up and reported on it um, and whether that's because journalists are sort of hunting as a pack sort of with us and it's we're all together in that Canberra bubble and so there's a sense that you don't talk about it, I don't know, but I'd like to think that partly it's because hopefully people would say, well, I'm kind of not interested in that. Like as long as, as, long as someone's not doing anything um, really uh, ethically wrong, then that makes me think, I can't trust them in that position, mm -hmm. then I'm kind of generally not interested. And so I hope that, I think that's the approach that many of the journalists take at the moment, and I think and I hope that it reflects um, where the public's at. But one of the things about him in the film is that like, it didn't require a huge amount of investigative journalism to find out what he did. He was tweeting it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I had this little moment um, as I was watching the film today of... Um, thinking, I, I wonder whether he actually meant to tweet that. Like, I've, I've tweeted things that I meant to text to my wife, right? I have. And um, Can you give us a more I, finite example? Um, the, That's a shopping list, right? Yeah, That's what you mean. It's, yes. it's, um, so, I mean, it's, it's out there. And fortunately, like, perhaps it, this says a bit about why they're not going to be making a movie about my life anytime soon. It was a picture of um, our dog in his doghouse, which he hadn't used for a couple of years, and now he was back using it. And I, so I, I meant to text her. I took a picture of him in there, and I texted it. Well, I thought I texted it to her saying, oh, look, he's using his doghouse again. And then I tw and tweeted. And um, I had a lot of very helpful suggestions about, is that the well-known dog irritant, blah, 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 growing in the background? It's like, so a lot of people were very, you know, had a lot of advice about my dog. But, um, but it was just one of those moments of, like, wow, it's like... Actually, like you just hit the wrong button on your phone, mm. right? And bang, you're not sending it to someone personal. You, you which, which query how private even that is. You put, I'm sharing it with 100,000 followers, and so I had a little moment of wondering whether he actually, because like just like you look at that photo, and it's just like tweet. It's presented without comment, right? Like, mm. did he actually meant to text it and said, bang, all of a sudden, this is his life's turned into this? What do you think is his motivation? 
to participate and therefore be the architect of his own circumstances in this documentary yeah, film. It's because it's the film opens with him uh, ipso facto, or ipso series of factos, as it turns out, uh, lamenting on camera that he is participating in the film. Which, which I should point out also, uh, one of the two directors is a former staffer of his. Yeah, what's his motivation, boy? Um, it's uh, um, the um, uh, it's w when he's kind of being psychoanalyzed on live on national television by someone who may or may not be a qualified therapist. Like, that's probably one of the more confronting moments in political life that I've ever seen. But I, I think, my, I think probably he thought. I'm going to win and this is going to be one of the greatest comeback stories of all time and so let's get it on film. Um, and there's this combination, I think, of self-belief but also um, like just an incredible self-belief. But um, also I think that when you get to a certain point in not just in politics but I think anything in public life, if you do this work and you made it and you've got all these people telling you you're great, as he sort of did up to that point, I think there's an extent to which you might, and I've seen it happen before, people feel bulletproof or people feel invincible and it's like, oh, well, I can keep on doing anything and I'm not going to be held to account for it. And if you think, like, look at some of the scandals that, as we were talking about before, some of the scandals that we've had in Australian political life in recent history, with like Peter Slipper, for example, like what got him undone was taking a $300 taxi trip on public expense to go and visit a winery, right? And like, there's just this sense that, um, oh yeah, I'm, people keep telling me I'm good, I'm here, I'm getting all these things on the public purse, why not take something else? And so I think there's, he, he probably thought, um, just A, thought it was gonna be a great story and B, thought it was all gonna be fine. Hmm. Last question for me, because I know that uh, everyone here also has questions and, and comments both about the film as well as perhaps to put to you. Uh, and, and perhaps using the instance of Peter, uh, the, the Peter Slipper case, I mean, there was an avowedly moral crusade against him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there was some political motivations that underpinned that. Uh, do you think in Australia, uh, or indeed are we as Anglo-Saxons, so uh, Australians and uh, Americans, uh, is there a difference in the way that we pass a moral judgment about figures of public office, well, not just celebrities and pop singers, but rather those in public office that is unjust, that rather politicians should be judged by their actions in public office rather than by what would take place, what takes place in their private lives? I think the... Um, is that different to other cultures, is, is my badly expressed question. Mm, I think the... Well, I think it's... Uh, the thing about the Peter Slipper instance is that, is that there was a mixture of someone who'd done something wrong with public finances or allegedly done something wrong, bear in mind he actually to court exonerated him in the end. Like there was no finding against him when you think think about everything that happened. Um, there's a mixture of that and I think kind of just homophobia really. Like mm. it was like it was this tear him down because he like he's obviously someone with a kind of like diff very different to Anthony Weiner in, in many respects, but that kind of complicated history that comes with what happens to your personal life um, if you kind of repress everything in order to get into public life. I mean, it's almost classic sort of sublimation, and then, of course, it always comes out in the mm. end. And so um, 
uh, I think there was there's a whole pile of homophobia in the attack on on him, um, but I think still in my mind, I mean maybe others have got a different view, but it's kind of the exception rather than the rule. Like that's the only time that I can remember people getting incredibly excited in recent history about someone who might have um, slept with someone else, and mm. um, and there was as I say there was a whole pile of other things going on there about mm. that too. So I, I I don't think that um, in Australia there's yet been the appetite for it, how people would react and whether we'd react the same as in other countries, I, I, I don't know. And I kind of hope we don't find out. Or perhaps all of our politicians are, in fact, incredibly well behaved. Maybe that's Mr. it. Bant. Maybe that's it. Are there questions or comments for, for Mr Bant? We do have a, a microphone here, which I would urge you to use. Uh, a question, if you'd like to put up your hand. Yes, gentleman here. Do you mind using the microphone? Because others may not be able to hear. Sorry. So the things that people do for their jobs um, is affected by how they are as people. And so if we say uh, politicians' private lives are completely separate from their public life, it means that they're not doing anything in public life at all. Does that follow? What do, can, you say, can you explain a bit more what you mean by that? So if um, I've got somebody who's teaching my children who's a sexual predator, I don't want them to be teaching my children. Yes. If they're doing something in business and they're liars, I don't want them to be, to be doing business with them. So if politicians are covering all aspects of life, then I'd be really concerned about all their opinions and all their behaviours. Yeah, I think there's... And I can understand that, and I think there's something in that. Um, the, uh, I guess the question would then be, by what standard would you judge like people's... If you knew everything about my life or knew everything about... Um, Another politician's life. By what standard would you judge it? Like, what is the what is the standard that you would like us to? Is it one of um, uh, uh, being upfront about what we do, or is it one of um, living according to a certain way that people think life should be lived? Um, and I guess then there comes back to the other. Um, uh, I mean, you have to. We have to sign an every six months or so um, a register of public interest. So if anyone's given us a gift, you have to we disclose it and so on. And I think that's fair enough. Um, I guess the, a logical consequence of what you're saying is maybe we should be disclosing you know, something like that about who, who, what's gone on in our personal lives as well. And um, again, it comes back to the point, you want politicians to be, I guess, um, at a minimum, not um, fraudulent and not misusing public money and you want them to be not on the take from someone else. Um, beyond that, do you want do you want other things from them as well? And you might be suggesting that you do and I guess it's an interesting question but it's like where do you stop? I guess I'm just thinking it makes it so difficult when there's so many value-based judgments on people, how you present to so many different people. So being a politician, how, how do you campaign? How do you go out and speak to people knowing that there's so many different... Their moral compass is very different. It's... Um so in the electorate that I represent, um, there's a very... We've got more public housing than any other electorate in the country, and you see it in all those big tower blocks. Um, in those public housing, there's a very large population from Horn of Africa, most, mostly Muslim. 
And so walking to some tower blocks, 50% of the population will be Muslim. And um, here I am campaigning for equal marriage. And um, uh, many of these people have come from countries where, you know, if you're gay, your, your life's at risk, really, so let alone talking about equal marriage. And the thing that I've found gets me through it all is you actually just be upfront and honest. And at the end of the day, people kind of respect that and then they can make their choices or not. And I think the worst thing to do is either be fraudulent or try and cover something up and because you get you get found out and um uh i think because people are pretty cluey and so i think that's um i think increasingly that's that's the way i deal with it and it um it's kind of worked i think it's worked so far yeah it's working. yeah <laughs> Um, the film had some pretty interesting segments of him campaigning and getting you know, really fired up, say, at a Pride March and things like that. Um, what did you think of his political skills, the, the strengths and the weaknesses displayed there on film and how it compares to Australian politicians? He was um, kind of at every march, wasn't he? Like, it was just amazing. Um, I'm sure that was just the, the director having a bit of fun. But uh, he's... Like, he clearly didn't get to where he got by being a deal or through, like, he, he, there was something about him, and we just trying to work out before what it, what it was, and, um, like, I loved the bit where he um, turns to the guy, to the, uh, to the um, cinematographer and says, the, the camera guy, and says, well, I'm sure there's probably some kind of fly somewhere that can speak, but, you know, it's like, aren't you meant to be a fly? And it's like, wow, he's pretty insightful, he's pretty smart, he's able to, unless he's spent a week thinking about that line, he's obviously, he's just sort of come up with that. So he's obviously, and that's kind of, and that, you know, utter self-confidence can be attractive, right? It's like, we've all, you, you, we've all sort of fallen for people because they just seem to have that total belief in themselves and then you work out later on, like, um, what, what's her name saying, um, Pineapple, when she says, um, I, you, shouldn't, you should never meet your heroes kind of thing. It's like you can, you can see how from like a distance he's pretty um, good at what he, what he does and pretty engaging. Um, so I think, uh, I thought he was kind of quite skillful, um, certainly to get to that point. And then after that it all unravelled. And was it that he lied that was the big thing, maybe, but I think, you know, once you put pictures like that out there, they stay out there for a while. It's probably not so much the lying thing, but um, I, I thought he was fairly skillful. I was pretty intrigued by the fact that uh, a young woman called Sydney Leathers would refer to herself as pineapple. <laughs> Why not yeah. stick with the original? Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, th there was another question up the back. Um, so I was just thinking uh, that in Anthony Weiner's case, he acknowledged again the role that the media played and sort of didn't use it as, as an excuse but still had a bit of a go at them. And we seem to hear politicians do that a lot in Australia, <laughs> um, talking about gotcha politics and the media not focusing on the right thing. I'm just wondering to what extent you think that's true or is it maybe a lack of a good message to sell? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, but I think it's... Um, I do think that um, there's... 
mean, think about the parliament that we've got at the moment, and we've got Pauline Hanson with four senators there, we've got Darren Hinch, and um, maybe, I mean, they're new in the sense that they're new to this parliament, and so maybe it'll die down after a while, but they've just got an enormous amount of media coverage in the last, sort of in their time since getting elected, um, probably out of proportion to the power that they're going to be able to wield in parliament. But um, everyone loves a good story, right? And so, and they've got a, there is a constant demand for, um, not only for novelty, but for interest. And so there's, we kind of have to sort of like feel like, well, how can we constantly create something new, right? So it might be, geez, you want to talk about climate change again? You know, can you find a different way of talking about it, please? We're sick of hearing you talk about this. We'd rather hear someone talk about, you know, banning the burqa or whatever. So I think there's, um, it's a bit of, it's, it's a bit of both, I think. And I think, um, I don't know where it ends because I feel like it's just speeding up and speeding up and speeding up and I think it's in increasingly unsatisfying for everyone. Most of all, public is my sense because it's just like, it becomes pretty trivial. This uh, lady here. <clears throat> there are a couple of things that we're interested about um, the times we're in, because we were talking earlier about, you know, there have been politicians that have been known for being very um, sexually active, mm -hmm. you know, the Kennedys and all that sort of stuff. So this is a new version of that that was sort of seen to be sleazier somehow, and then the woman became part of the story. Yeah. And then there's also something about the images, because when you think about... Um, you know, the expose of the Northern Territory um, Youth Detention Centre. That's been known about um, for some years, but when all of us could actually see footage of it on television, it brought it to another level. Do you think there's something there about where social media and all of that is raising the bar or making it more risky or dangerous or, um, yeah? Well, I mean, images have always been powerful like it, like it, in politics and a, um, a, a leaked photo or a, um, an inside shot of something that wasn't meant to be taken has, when you think about some of the shots that um, came out of Abu Ghraib um, or shots of Guantanamo and the like, it's like, wow, all of a sudden you see, or as you say, you know, Don Dale, all of a sudden you see these things and you can be told about it, but when you see it, wow, it's, it's really, really significant. Um, and I think that that is, like, those, like, good images are now the fodder of social media. Like, that's, like, that's, that's what makes, every now and then, I might write a Facebook post that gets shared a lot because of the quality of the words, but it's quite often how good is the image um, that will make it shared. And like, there's a lot of opportunities there for politics because it means you can convey things in the form of infographics, for example, or you can um, you know, find a good picture and all of a sudden you can communicate about something politically in a way that you haven't been able to um, before. It's just like it's, it, there's, there's so many more images, it's just easier to do it now. So it's easier to take a photo of your crotch or whatever, like in a way that it might not have been before. You might, you would have had to go to some great lengths to take a photo of your crotch and then distribute it amongst, you know, to, to a very large population, whereas now you can do it pretty quickly. Or a dog kennel. Or a dog kennel, that's right. Hi, I'm just wondering. 
wondering, getting back to a point that was made earlier about uh, to what standards can we judge politicians, I'm wondering whether it's the standard to which they put it on themselves. So just, you know, there are some politicians that do the spreading the Woman's Weekly with their family and the happy yes. family image, except from that point on, family has to be out of... We can't still comment or critique the family. And I'm just wondering whether... That, that is a fair thing to judge someone. And this, the moment that I'm thinking of Tony Abbott, he puts himself out here as the great family man. If he proved not to be the great family man, would that then be a okay standard to hold him to once he's volunteered or volunteered that image? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot in that. And I think that, um, and that's why, as I say, like we, we had a discussion about whether we're going to put our um, uh, baby, she was just just hadn't turned one yet um, in front of the camera. And the reason that we did it was because um, um, there'd been a, there was a measles outbreak happening in like locally. And it was like, well, she's too young to get vaccinated. If she gets this, oh, she's going to die, um, potentially. So please, everyone, get your kids vaccinated, right? Now, um, but the, the, the quid pro quo was that, OK, if I put my child on, you know, in front of a camera, um, can I then complain about it when someone um, takes another photo of her or me and her as we're just walking down the street? And um, uh, so there are a lot of members of parliament who say, I'm just not going to have anyone from my private life in there. And I think, yeah, you're then right. If all of a sudden people start following them down the street, oh, did you realise they're going out with so-and-so? Like, I think that's, that is a bit much. Um, and I guess the, the only caveat I would add on it all is that like, you never, like, you're lucky if you know your own relationship well, right? Let alone actually understanding what's going on inside someone else's relationship. And so if someone, if someone's um, relationship does fall apart or they have an affair that leads to them leaving and they, whatever, uh, can you actually find a way of discussing that that's, that's not just gossipy, that's not just gotcha, like, um, and... Um, so if, hypothetically, if it would take your Tony Abbott example, if his marriage fell apart, um, would you say he's a fraud or would you say, oh, he's going through a tough time? Like, I don't have a lot of time for Tony Abbott, but I would hope that it's not, that it doesn't then just turn into, oh, well, you've put yourself up as someone who's in a happy relationship and now your relationship's not happy. So should we have strong moral views about our politicians once they're... Once they're, once they're elected officials, once they're politicians. I think and what, what are the boundaries of that? I mean, you've, you've expressed that, you've articulated that quite clearly in terms of your own family circumstances. I, I do have a very brief confession, which is that I did key in the words Adam Bant and controversy. <laughs> and I spent perhaps seven minutes, and the best that I could get... <laughs> was uh, when you're a student and an activist, you were quoted as calling the Greens a bourgeois party. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Surely this is not like breaking news to you people, is it? Yeah, that's well, at least of all you, Mr. Bank. But, uh, well, but really, I mean, are there, in a, in a frivolous sense, are there things that you've said that you wished that you could now unsay? Uh, but I guess most particularly the degree to which and this is, I think this is what we're all asking, uh, and, and you've been articulating uh, very strong responses to, the degree to which that everything about you is accountable. So to I the electorate. I mean, I, I, um, 
There's a couple more things about me out there, so I'm glad you didn't find those. Um, the, um, I well, was, we, it's just between <laughs> us. Young. Um, the, um, look, I was lucky. I finished uni in uh, my undergraduate degree in 1990, and really this thing called the internet was just starting, right? And so um, I watched someone else's first speech in parliament today who said, who's a very similar age to me, who said... Um, he spent all his um, youth and misdeeds uh, in the age before the internet, um, so everything he did wasn't captured on camera and therefore didn't happen. Um, and uh, I think there's, so I think some of us are kind of a bit lucky in that regard, and but the people who are gonna come through next, I think it's gonna be a lot harder. Hmm. And like, I didn't, this is, and this is part of the thing, like, do you want, members of parliament who have, who are the kind of people who have known since they were teenagers that they wanted to be in parliament and therefore led a squeaky clean life all the way through and just like did everything or do you want people who are actually people, right? Mm. In which case, like I think increasingly the next crop of people because of their age that you're going to vote for, there's going to be stuff from on Facebook or whatever um, from them when they were at school or when they were at uni. And mm. uh, my hope is that we don't become excessively prudish about it, but that everyone can kind of look at it through the lens of, oh, yeah, well, I probably did that. There just wasn't a camera around at the time. Um, or for all the others who are um, people of their same age who are voting for them, that it'll be, yeah, so what? I'm exactly the same. Um, so I really, I think that's going to come, and I, and I really hope we don't um, ratchet up the standards in some some false way and we all pretend to be outraged because mm. I think that would be just incredibly unfair. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my question is about the um, future of politics. You've talked about that, but we had the past position of politicians being quite placed on a pedestal, but you didn't quite know what was happening behind. This is like 50, 60 years ago. And is America a good prediction of what Australia's politicians are going to be with that opening of the history in the past and Facebook showing all those little indiscretions there. Is America a good prediction? My feeling is pretty much, but then there's America and there's Russia and there's many other flavours out there. Yeah, um, uh, um, it might be a... It's a potential prediction, um, but again, it comes back to how we're going to judge it. We were talking before about, you know, imagine if this was in France right you know it's like well, I'm not going to vote for you unless you've had an, an affair but like the um, and so I think again it just comes back to like, I think there will be that, that's one way we could go and there will be a, a media market for that no doubt no doubt there will be um, um, there's more of that happening it's just whether it takes off or not and I kind of hope I hope that it won't and I think there's a good chance that it won't yeah I couldn't help but think, watching the film uh, after the, the breaking news of this week, that the most apt uh, song, I guess, for Anthony Weiner was I Did It My Way, which is a quintessentially American and quintessentially uh, New York song, of course, although, as it turns out, it's originally a French song. Um, but is this is this is this an apt dictum for politicians? Do you think? Um, I think that. 
I think at the end of the day, it, uh, I think people like, again, it come, comes back to that point about what, what makes him attractive in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not only that he's full of self-confidence, because that's, like, if you think about it, I think that's what got Clive Palmer over the line. Like, he's, like, he, he was a man who was just incredibly full of self-confidence and... Um, plus the fact that he had a bit of money, but could you could like, he managed to get from a standing start? He got himself five percent of the vote and balance of power in the federal parliament when no one knew anything about him really a year before, um, just by being brash really and being self confident and flying around Australia saying I'm going to make Australia better and like five percent of the population believed him and said which is which is a pretty good thing to get. So I do think there's there's a um, people like someone who's going to say, I'm going to sort of carve my own path, especially when politics has become so much about machine politics and people who who will be those people who've lived their lives since teenagers, never having done anything other than want to be mm-hmm. in politics. So I think there's... Um, uh, I, I think we will continue to like people that we think are mavericks or that, that do it their own way, and, and um, so it should be. But I think you need more than just self-belief to get through. Like, I think there's, and this is, this is again one of the things that works for him, is that he's actually got some politics, he's got something he believes in, he's not just a self-promoter. Like, mm. people didn't, people were coming up to him and hugging him in the street, not because not he was Clive Palmer, but it was because like, he actually stood for something as well, yeah. which I think is um, that, and if you look at what's happening around the world, you look at Bernie Sanders, you look at Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, look on the other side of the spectrum, um, at the likes of Trump, like I think there's a resurgence interest. Geez, I would like my politicians to actually believe something. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Mm. Yeah. We've got time for one last question or comment. Yes, this young gentleman at the front, but you will need a microphone, please. Uh, with what you were saying about the Peter Slipper uh, issue, I think that had a lot to do with him uh, chat essentially changing sides in the um, which side is he on issue in the government and because he'd been friends with his um, coalition colleagues for years so they had all the dirt on him so they said oh let's use it I think that I think that had a lot to to do with it yeah that's I think that's right and it suggests that politics still works on the basis that there's someone keeping a file on someone else in case they, on everyone else, in case they ever decide to um, switch sides or do it. So I think there is still, like, that, that people do keep tabs on people's personal lives and so maybe the rule is that as long as you're good, no one writes about you, but as soon as you do something bad, then they might. Um, so, yeah, I think that is a part of it. I think one thing that's interesting that hasn't, come up very much in what we've spoken about but I think is kind of like the key one of the key things of the film is um, what is um, humour like like what um, geez like how much humiliation can you put someone through and like you, what's his motivations I mean what are, what's her motivations throughout it all as well and so obviously part, part of it's about the family and also she's a political animal and arguably much more successful than he is um, so I mean I thought she 
I, I'm surprised that it's taken her that long to ditch him, really. Like, it's, it's, you can see why it's happening now. I think she's obviously going to go on to bigger and better things. But I watched this film with my wife and um, one of the... Um, it's all right, we've got a one-year-old, so she knows there's absolutely no time for me to be doing anything like that. <laughs> there's, there's just no spare time in our household. But um, the... Um, uh, one of the one of the most uh, um, telling scenes, I think, is she she turned to me when um, it was him and her in the room, and maybe there was a couple of other people as well. And I, I think it was when he was asking for fundraising. Well, it might have been might have been a bit later than that. Oh, it was women for Wiener. Maybe was that it. <laughs> sorry, wow. sorry. That's, um, and um, that's what the group was called. I'm I not know, making that up. Just, and, uh, <laughs> Um, there's, it is the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? Um, the, but there was one bit where they were having conversation and he was, she was trying to reschedule something and, um, or do something and she hadn't called someone and he started talking to her of, what, what do you mean you haven't got on the phone? You know, these, these phones, they're amazing, they work everywhere now. Haven't you tried Have you tried that? And, like, she just gave him this look and at that point... Um, and Claudia turned to me and said, you know, if you ever talk to me like that, then I'm going to leave you. With a fair, <laughs> fair, fair cop. But what I thought was incredible is that he's telling her how to use phones, right? He's bawling out this woman who's just stood, stood with him and done more than I think any person could, saying, haven't you learnt how to use phones yet? Um, but I think she's, like, I'm glad that, like, if, if there's something that arises out of all the ashes, I'm glad it's her, because I think she's a, she's a pretty incredible woman. And one last question, one last, last question, which is if, if there is a scene that is the quintessential politician scene from the film, what would be it, uh, do you think? Um, I don't know if it's a quintessential politician scene, but it, it summarised why I think he got where he got when he walks into that meeting at... Um, uh, uh, that, that thing that he just doesn't want to go to, but he had to go there because mm. it had been in the public diary, and and they're all heckling him, and he's got a couple of people in the audience that he's probably brought along with him who clap um, when he gets up and speaks, and then by the end of it, like he's just so full of self-belief, and he's got that right mix of I'm really sorry, and but don't you want someone like me who never gives up? And then by the end, it sounded like I don't know whether they did just the mixing, but it sounded like more than half the room was clapping for him by the mm. end it was like oh yeah okay I can see how you got where you got and why you think you want to keep on going and why you might actually make it mm. um, it was you know, seeing the 4.9% or whatever it was come up at the end it's like oh okay the, 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 I don't know fairy tale is quite the right word but it wasn't <laughs> whatever it is didn't, didn't come off but there was that moment of thinking oh if he had pulled it off Sorry, that's probably a bad phrase. Um, if, if he had... We are if, actually if, recording this, so be careful. If he, if he had managed to do it, um, then um, you kind of wouldn't have all, at all been surprised about that as well. Mm. Well, uh, you've only allowed yourself one pun of the expense of Anthony yeah. Greener this evening. Uh, thank you very much, even though the temptation was there. Everybody, please thank uh, Adam thank Bant. You. Thanks very much. Uh, very generous with his time. Uh, as, as obviously we all know, the, the first week of Parliament has just uh, concluded. You're a very busy man. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks to all of you for, for coming here this evening. Please uh, be careful how you use social media. Yeah, I that's think that's a, one that's of the messages. Doghouse okay. Yeah. Uh, everything else, Off think twice. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, everyone. Good on you. Thanks Cheers. very much. Thanks.
Institute. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.